Tonight's reading is James 3, 1 through 12. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is it set itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. My name is Josh Havman. I am the executive pastor at Grace Community Church, and Jason is taking some much-needed time away. He and his family are on vacation, and even though uh, they got and a replacement, uh, I came anyway. So if you happen to see another guy who used to preach here around, don't pay attention to him. I'm the real replacement, promise. Very good to have you, Steve. For those of you who haven't heard this story yet, um, my family was in Yellowstone earlier this summer, and I was at a gift shop doing gift shop things, and this strange man comes up and accosts me, and he just happens to be Steve Shepherdly, and he says, hi, what are you doing here? And I said, I don't know, what are you doing here? It was a very surreal moment to have not planned to have seen him at all for three weeks or for many months, in fact. And there he is, just being friendly and being himself. Thank you, sir, for that good word. It was good to see you. Tonight we are going to be in James, and we are going to talk about speech, and we're going to talk about the tongue. And just so that we're all on the same page before we get started, we are going to talk about the tongue because James talks about the tongue. But if you are not very eloquent, if you don't use words, spoken words, all that often, this still applies to you. Because, yes, it's about speech, but it's also about making meaning. It's about the gift that you've been given to communicate, and you can use it well, and you can use it not so well. So that's what we're talking about tonight. Uh, Do know that this applies to you. If you can make meaning, this applies to you tonight. I'm going to ask this question here from verse 10. James says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be, or ought not to be so. And it kind of sounds like he's concluding this thought, this idea with, you know what, you just, you better watch your mouth. Anybody ever have a parent tell them you better watch your mouth? Steve Oliver, come on. That's right. He knows what I'm talking about. When you talk, when you talk, you can say bad things. Yes? Has anybody experienced this? And it sounds kind of like that's James's whole message here that he's wrapping up this whole complex thought with. And you just better watch your mouth. You've got to be careful. 
But I want to tell you tonight that there's a whole lot more going on in this text because James is using some very similar analogies to the ones that Jesus has used. And so I want to point us back to what Jesus has already said in the scriptures because James very evidently has those things in mind for us tonight. This is a series on faith working, and we are going to talk about faith working, but we're also going to talk about faith speaking because it's a passage about the tongue. So let's ask this question, where do words come from? Why do we make meaning? Why do we have speech? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about why we have words? There is a answer in the world, which is that we have words because words evolved along with people, and that people just started grunting at each other and making noises at one, at one another, and eventually those noises added up to meaning, and people used those different noises to communicate different things. And they became so diverse and so multitudinous that they covered the earth, and there are hundreds and thousands of different languages, right? That is an answer. And another answer is given to us in Scripture, which is God said, God spoke the world into existence. Words come from the Creator Himself. That was his chosen medium for creation. He said, I want to make the world with words. So that's another answer. And a further part of the answer is this, that God didn't just make the world with words, but he inserted himself as the word. Read John uh, chapter 1. In the first few verses of John chapter 1, we hear about how Jesus is the word made flesh. And so not only did God give us words in creating, but he showed us what truth looked like by doing the things that he said we ought to do. So this is where the Bible says that words come from for us in the world, right? Here's where words come from. They come from the Lord. And God has given us an example in himself to show us what words ought to look like. But why do we have words? Why do you and I use words to communicate with each other? Why do we talk to each other? Why do we write messages to each other? Because we're image bearers of that same God. Because God said, I made them, male and female, to bear my image. And part of the way that we look like God is that we communicate in complex ways. We make meaning. We write stories. We write movies. We write songs. We communicate and we reflect God's creativity with the words that he's given us. So that's why we make words. That's why we have words. But where are they coming from in us? Have you thought about this? Where do my words come from? Jesus has an answer for that too. It's in Matthew chapter 12. And he says, there we go. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So think about that for a second. Think about what's in your heart on any given day. And then think about what you say on any given day. Do you see the correlation? Is it obvious to you when you think about the words that are coming out of your mouth, what is in your heart? It may not be. You may never have thought about it that way before. But I want to encourage you to think that way tonight because James is very clear. It ought not to be so that you call yourself one kind of tree and produce a different kind of fruit. It ought not to be so that you bless the Lord with your mouth and then also curse your brother and sister who is made in his image. So if we're going to find out why it is we're doing that, why we're claiming to be one kind of tree but in, instead producing a different kind of fruit, we are going to have to ask ourselves, what is the treasure in our heart? This is the Faith Works series. But like I said, tonight we are talking about faith speaking. 
So how does James talk about faith speaking in the book? A couple of different places I want to point you to just to remind you what has already been said. In James 1.26, James said, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This is where this idea comes from, right? That religion is bad and relationship is good. Religion is worthless if the things that you do for the purpose of religion, coming to a religious service or uh, offering religious devotion of some kind, if they don't match up with the truth, then that's worthless religion. And that includes things like bridling your tongue. If your speech, if your speech does not reflect what you say you believe, that will be obvious to people. And that's a problem, James says. The other option, he said, is that if you haven't bridled your tongue, you're deceiving your heart. You're lying to yourself. You're saying that the words coming out of my mouth actually have nothing to do with what's in my heart. But he says, you're actually deceiving your own heart unless you're bridling your tongue because we all stumble in many ways. Also, in James 2, he says, so speak and so act as though we're to be judged under the law of liberty. Brooks has said the last uh, couple weeks, Jason maybe here, <clears throat> that the law of liberty is the gospel. Jesus, Jesus completely and perfectly fulfills the Old Testament law. And then he says, now all you have to do is believe in me. And so here is a new law. Here is a new covenant for you. Believe in me. Rest in me. Take my yoke upon you. That law will set you free. But if you've been set free by that law, act and speak as if you have. Don't work to earn that. There's nothing you can do to earn it. But if you've been set free by it, then live like you've been set free by it. So this is what James has already said. And now he gets to chapter 3. <clears throat> and he says, I want you to pay attention to the words that are coming out of your mouth, the things that you're saying. And because we see James referencing these same analogies that Jesus has used, I'm taking a liberty here to say that we're going to talk about the words that are in our heart. What words are in your heart and what treasure, what uh, prize, what idol even do you have in your heart that's motivating those words? I'm also going to ask us to consider what our words do in the world. Because James spends a pretty good chunk of chapter 3 talking about what our words do in the world, what our tongue does in the world. And then finally, we'll talk about what our words can do for the Lord. So that's where we're headed. Let's pray. Let's ask God to lead us in those ways, and if not those ways, wherever he would have us go. Lord, I praise you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you. I praise you for the sun outside, Lord, and I praise you for the building to worship in. For over a hundred years, your people have gathered here on and off, Lord, sometimes more faithfully and sometimes less. But always you are providing for us in ways that we don't see, including speech, Lord, including the opportunity to make meaning to one another, uh, with one another, to grow intimate with each other, Lord, to love one another. You've given us all of this. Help us to use it well and help us to see from your word tonight how we can use it better. I thank you and praise you, Lord, for these gifts. In your name, amen. Okay, some historical context as we get started in this passage in James. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James is absolutely referring to a practice that is developing in his day 
and is even more rampant perhaps in the church by Paul's day, where people are going from synagogue to synagogue, from church to church, and they're trying to gain a following, or at least trying to gain a paycheck, by being good speakers. And he's saying, be careful with that practice, because know that you will be judged, right? With great power comes great responsibility. It's right here in the Bible, Spider-Man, right? James 3.1. It's, it's here because it's true. James says, watch out, because you will be judged. If you, if you set out to teach, understand that you will be judged more strictly. But before you even get to thinking about teaching, recognize what's going on in your lives, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Referring back to what he's already said there in James 1.26. So he set out this idea that there is an ideal that we are striving for. There is a Christ-likeness that we ought to pursue. But that's not where we're at. And so we have to grapple with where we're at. So don't be so quick to try and gain a living off of teaching because understand that there are some consequences that come from that. But maybe even before we get to that, let's consider that we stumble in many ways. And our religion often is worthless. Worthless not because we don't mean well. We mean great, right? We mean to do all kinds of good things, but we don't. And what we say and what we do don't always line up. So it's worth asking this question, what does our faith say? How does our faith speak? If we say we believe in something, but our actions are other, then what do our actions actually say we believe? Because our actions do reflect our true beliefs. If I tell you, if I tell you all that I've decided to become very health conscious, right? If I tell you that I have turned a new leaf, that I'm only going to eat healthy food, and while I tell you this, I take the third donut from a box, right, and I cram it in my mouth as I'm telling you, yes, I've turned a new leaf, I'm going to be a very healthy person from now on. My belief is clearly not matching up with my words. And you would all know that. That'd be very clear. But we don't have to be that egregious about it. We don't have to be that obvious about it. If we tell people that we love them and there's no evidence for that, they know. So what are the words in your heart? What is the treasure in your heart? Matt, uh, Matthew 12 and Luke 6 are parallel passages and Jesus says it this way in Luke 6. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So what's the treasure in your heart? If you have found that you are speaking to people and they are not receiving the words well, ask yourself, what do I value? Because what you value is motivating what you say. If you have talked to people and you find that you're constantly in conflict and you're wondering, why is there all of this conflict around me? Ask yourself, what do I treasure? It is out of the treasure of your heart that you're speaking, whether you've paid attention to it or not. That's what's happening. So ask yourself, what treasure is in your heart? What are you doing? If you treasure Jesus, are you saying when bad things happen, it's just the bad stuff? That's a likely response. Lots of people, when bad things happen, right, when you're driving through Iowa City and there's just 
terrible, awful drivers in front of you and words come out of your mouth that you would never say in front of your mother, it's clearly the driver's fault, right? It's clearly their fault. Or if your spouse, if your spouse asks you to do something for like the 17th time, and they're asking you for the 17th time because you haven't listened the 16 times before that, right? It's clearly that they're nagging. That's the problem, right? It's the external that's the issue, isn't it? Isn't that what's causing the problem? I'm afraid not. Jesus said, no, it's out of the person that evil comes. He has this conversation in Mark 7 with some Pharisees who are upset that Jesus' disciples aren't washing their dishes, right? They're not doing this ceremonial washing before they're using drinking vessels. And the Pharisees are like, why don't your disciples do this? They're going to drink sin right into their bodies. Look at they're pouring sin right down their throats. And Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. If there is evil coming out of you, right, it's coming out of you. It's in your heart. It's not the external circumstances that are making you say the things that you should not say. There is wickedness in your heart. You have chosen to prize, chosen to value, chosen to treasure things that you should not treasure. And you all know what it looks like. If someone values what you have, if they covet what you have, if they make that their treasure, you see it in the way that they talk to you. If someone among you, right, if you all find that you are envious of someone, you begin to treasure what they have, to covet what they have. You know what this looks like. And the words that come out of you are a result. And it's obvious when it's happening, or maybe after it's happened, but in the time leading up to it, it can be hard to see. But Jesus says, this is what's going on. Pay attention. So those are words in your heart. If we treasure Jesus, he will fill our heart. And if our heart is filled with Christ, the overflow of that heart will be a faith that speaks as Christ spoke in truth and love. But that's not where we find ourselves. So what's going on? Is it true that we don't treasure Jesus? Or is it that we're trying to bring in other treasures alongside? Is it that we're trying to have both? Some of you buy groceries for your home. Um, some of them, you buy groceries for a whole family, sometimes just for a roommate, right? And there is a difference. You guys all know where I'm going here, I think. There's a difference between the food that you intend for your family to eat and the food that you buy for yourself, right? Anybody ever do this? Anybody ever buy a certain kind of snack or maybe candy that you put in a special cupboard or drawer that you don't tell anybody else about and you hope that they don't find? Nobody's ever done that, right? Why do you do that? You do that because you don't want those people, those people that live with you, to have access to that treasure. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't value your family or your roommate getting food. Of course you do, right? But you also value this other thing. And so you're going to try to keep it as well. And if it's that easy to do it with food, how, how much easier is it to do with our thoughts and with the things that we treasure in our heart? And so this is what's happening. It's not that we don't treasure Jesus. It's just that we've not agreed to let him have everything. I'll come back to that. Why is it important, though? Why do we need to make Jesus our treasure? Yes, so we say good things, of course. James said it should not be so. And so, of course, we agree, right? It's in the Bible. It shouldn't be so that we bless God and then also curse our neighbor right. But what are the consequences of not making Jesus your only treasure. What does he say about the tongue? That's too small, you can't read it. You know what it says. It says, it says that the tongue is destructive. 
It says that it's a fire. Here I've got a summary. It's easier to read. The tongue is a fire setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. If Jesus is not your only treasure, your tongue is going to set your life on fire and it's going to set the world on fire. This is the consequence. This is why it's a problem. Yes, it should not be so that we bless God with our mouth and we also curse our neighbor. Understand also that the consequences of us cursing our neighbor are great. We're destructive when we don't have Jesus as our treasure. So it's not just you ought to talk nicer, right? We're not talking about business-appropriate speech. We're talking about where your heart is, what you value, and what speech is flowing out of that value. And if it's not praise and honor and glory for the Lord and the treasure that is him, right, it will be destruction. That's, that's what James is pointing to, that the, the tongue is restless. It's evil. It's going to cause problems. And it doesn't have to be speech. I said this at the beginning, but it doesn't have to be speech. Has anyone ever heard of a social media post doing damage? Nobody ever said a word. They just typed a few and hit send. Has that ever happened? Ever once? All the time, every day. Right? There is internal reporting at Snapchat, uh, not Snapchat, at Instagram, right, that their product is damaging to young girls especially because of the way it makes them feel about themselves. And some of that's the images that are impossible to live up to, and a lot of it is the comments, right? Girls in, in high school posting pictures of themselves and just getting torn apart in comments. It is destructive. It's destroying the entire world, James says. This is what our tongues are doing when we're not giving them over to God. But we know that no human being can tame the tongue. So where, where do we go from here? What do we do with this? You can't tame your tongue or anyone else's. But God longs to see us become perfect people, able to bridle our whole body to control who we are so that our religion can be pure and faultless. That's his desire for you. You can't tame your tongue. He wants to move you into this place where what you do reflects what you say, and what you say is based on a treasure in your heart that is him. That's his goal. That's what he wants for you. That's what that means. So when it says here, it ought not to be so, right? We ought to understand that God wants us to do something. When James says, this ought not to be the case, he's suggesting there is another way that we should act. And I've told you a couple of times now, he's using this analogy, this metaphor, a fig tree, a bearing olives, a grapevine producing figs. That doesn't work out. Where did he get that? He got that from Jesus. Jesus uses the same language. I don't have the text up there, but I'm going to turn uh, to Matthew 12:33 here. And I'm just going to read the way that Jesus says this here in verses 33 through 37. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's talking to the Pharisees. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. 
So he doesn't want us to be condemned, right? He wants us to be able to speak the truth in love to each other. That's his goal. But we can't tame our tongues. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to take God's implanted word, the word that he wants to implant in us, the Holy Spirit specifically empowering us, and do what he has called us to do. James 1.21 says, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Jesus implanted in us. The Holy Spirit implanted in us. This is what James is talking about and this is what Jesus is offering us. We can't tame our own tongue. He can. But we're going to have to get rid of some stuff to do that. And it says filthiness and rampant wickedness here. And to get rid of filthiness and rampant wickedness, we have to repent, right? We have to turn around. We have to go the other direction. And what are we repenting of? Whatever we have treasured over and above God. Whatever we have treasured alongside of Jesus, right? Jesus, you are my treasure and also my draw, uh, box of chocolate, right? Jesus, you are my treasure and also this thing that I want really bad. We have to let it go. We have to turn away from it and accept the Holy Spirit in our hearts accept Christ in our souls, and then, and then, we can do what Christ commands us. It's a gift, right? It's a free gift. Don't ever hear us say at Grace that uh, you have to work for your salvation. If anybody up here says you have to work for your salvation, you should come and drag them out. So this is not about doing the right thing so that you would be saved. This is about doing the right thing because you've been saved. And one more time, I'm going to go back to Jesus and Luke. He says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? Why would you give me that title? Why would you call me Lord? What's a Lord? A Lord is a person who rules over you. It's a person you have submitted yourself to. Why would you use your tongue to call me Lord and not do what I've said? And then there's this great this passage here about building your house on a rock or building your house on the sand. And there used to be a song that was sung in Sunday school about this sort of thing, right? There were actions. It was great. Kids don't know. I tried this in North Liberty this morning. People were looking at me like this. I had some people over 50 that were waving and smiling, but everybody else, they had no idea what I was talking about. I used to think that this passage was just about wisdom. It's just, it's just wise, right? We live in Iowa. There are lots of floodplains, especially right here in Iowa. You don't build your house on sand. That's foolish, right? Don't build your house on sand. It'll get wiped away the next time there's a flood. True. But this is about obedience. It is about wisdom, but this is about obedience. And Jesus says, I've saved you. So if you're going to call me Lord, obey me. Trust me. Don't just be content to know that I saved you. Do something with this gift. Build your house on this rock. Do what I have told you to do. And then when floodwaters come in, you'll find that you've got a firm foundation. Make me your treasure and you will find that the words that come out of your mouth, the words that you speak, are honoring and pleasing to me. So words for the Lord. They require us to bridle our tongue and our whole body and to do what Jesus says, to build our life on him, to make him our treasure. And so that will mean getting rid of other treasures. And that will be difficult. And it will mean that there will be circumstances that you face that are difficult, and you're going to want to blame your response on those circumstances. 
I was bullied when I was a kid. It was a true, like, bullying situation. I just didn't feel bad. There was another kid who was bigger than me who picked on me, right? I was not always this giant person that you see before you. I was a smaller person at one point in time, and a bigger person picked on me. That was a real thing. But him picking on me had nothing to do with the way I responded to him. And by no means is bullying the worst circumstance that you all have faced. You have faced many awful things, no doubt. Sometimes at the hands of your family members. Sometimes the people who call you the worst names are the people who are supposed to love you the most. So this is real. This is true. Circumstances can be terrible. But we know that Jesus, who was literally killed by the people he sent to save, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So we know that it is possible to love, to bless and not curse, even in the worst circumstances. We see that. We see that Jesus does it. And and you might say, but he's Jesus. Yes. And he's given us himself. He's given us his Holy Spirit so that we can be like him. So when obedience is hard, be meek enough to admit that you have things that you are probably treasuring more than Christ. Receive the word that he wants to implant in you, himself. Receive that. And let him take away everything else. Trust him. Know that whatever you've chosen for yourself is not as good as what he's going to choose for you. And then praise him for your salvation and submit to his sanctification. This is, this is a whole life thing, right? Sanctification is not a one and done, like, I went to sanctification on Saturday and now I'm good. It would be great, right? We would feel better about that probably, but that's not the way God chooses to work in us. He is always wanting to work on us more, this side of heaven. He is always making us more like himself. So praise him for your salvation and then trust that he's going to work on you. He's going to work through you. He wants to be the treasure in your heart and he wants to flow out of you into other people's lives. That's his desire for you. Not just that you would do good works so that you've done good things, but so that when people hear your voice and they see your actions, that matches up, and then they want to know, where does that come from? Because that's not normal. We don't see that very often. So when it happens, it's from him. There's one more slide here, and it doesn't really apply to this group, but I'm going to ask you to think about it tonight. We had communion in North Liberty this morning. We're not having communion here. I don't want you to be confused. But... I do want you to think about this as we close. When Jesus gives his body and his blood to his disciples at the Last Supper in the form of bread and wine, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And in so often as you do it, you proclaim, you speak, you announce the Lord's death until he returns. So think about that tonight as we close, as we wrap up and you go out from this place. How are you going to proclaim the Lord's death going forth? How are you going to proclaim his death and his resurrection until he returns? How are you going to love each other? What are you going to do? Not because your actions are going to save you, but because people need to hear Jesus. Let's pray. God, I praise you and thank you for these words from James. I thank you for your words, Lord Jesus, showing us what is inside of us is producing fruit. I pray, Lord, that we would be made good by you, that your Holy Spirit would enter in, that we would repent and turn away from those things that we know we have no business pursuing, and that you would fill us 
and flow out of us and that people would hear your voice and not ours and they would come to know you and love you and serve you. Help us to know you and love you and serve you this week. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.